Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware, we have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit, but frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Ellen, and I am seriously considering dyeing my hair green. That way, I can be the Gryffindor co-host with green hair, since Katie is the Slytherin co-host with red hair. Mmm, I don't know that you can pull green off. Let's be honest, when I say green, I mean teal. Now that you can pull off. I'm gonna go blonde for the summer, but we'll see what happens after that. But to get into Harry Potter stuff, let's roll right into the rolling rehash. Last week, we covered Chapter 10, Mayhem at the Ministry, And that's it, because there are no film scenes, which once again had us steaming from the ears. Mr. Roberts hadn't had such a mind-altering experience since Woodstock. Basil tried to keep things orderly while every wizard in a five-mile radius rushed to get the fuck out of Dodge. The Weasley walk of shame back to the burrow ended in bone-crushing hugs and spiked tea. Arthur's vacation gets cut short by some yellow journalism. Ron and Hermione didn't disappoint when informed of Harry's cranial sufferings as their reactions were exactly as he had imagined. Fred and George try to get one past Molly by guilt-tripping her into a diversion, but to no avail. Percy's insistence that Mr. Crouch can do no wrong is met with disdain from Hermione and her new social awareness. And Molly suggests Ron donned his birthday suit since he's so dead set against his dress robes. Unless you were watching the movie, in which case, none of this happens. Like, none of it. At all. Nothing. During episode 73, Apparator Wait, our Potter pondering was, do you agree with Percy that Mr. Weasley actually did make the situation worse by giving the unofficial statement that he did after the riot? Or do you think Bill is right, that Rita Skeeter would have been nasty regardless? Sarah said that Rita Skeeter is trash and would have been nasty regardless. Mike agrees with Sarah, saying this speaks for him as well. It has nothing to do with Mr. Weasley and everything to do with the fact that Rita Skeeter is a huge, insert whatever nasty non-Facebook appropriate word you would like here. Even in terms of the story itself, it's only there to introduce her and how much, uh, repeat that word previously said, she is later in the book. Diana also thinks she would have dragged the ministry regardless. If he had said nothing, she would have written that a ministry official refused to talk to bystanders. Percy was also way out of line talking like that about his father. But with his head that far up Barty Crouch's ass, he couldn't see what a shit he was being. (laughs) I wish Molly had hit him upside the head for it. Yeah, Juliana says the same. Rita would have twisted their words no matter who said it. She still doesn't fully understand why Percy listened to the ministry over his parents and former teachers. I have a feeling we'll be talking more about that later. I do think so as well. Lisa Lotta thinks that she would have been insufferable about it regardless of Arthur's statement. She never thought he actually said something so noteworthy that it would have been worth recalling by anyone, especially by the official newsletter of the Wizarding World. She believes he just said that Voldemort himself didn't conjure the dark mark in between getting his kids to safety and going to sleep. Max says of course she would have been nasty regardless. The cupboard nuzzler is always being a bitch about something. She does like to get cozy in a cupboard. She really does. It's kind of gross. <laughs> it was a little weird. Carly said she agrees with Bill. 
She thinks Rita is a gotcha journalist, duh, and would print whatever gets the most people to read. Honestly, hashtag fuck Percy for having that viewpoint of his father and hashtag fuck Rita for writing bullshit. Hashtag truth. (laughs) Quincy says that I've said it once and I'll say it a thousand times over. Percy is a dick. He was so concerned about protocol that he didn't realize Arthur did the best he could with what he was given. And in politics, no comment is very dangerous because it gives a reporter like Rita basically free reign to write whatever she wants. And when would he have had the time to consult with anyone before even saying everything is fine? I think putting the public at ease rather than saying no comment was the more responsible thing for him to do. Especially since we briefly mentioned last episode that we will eventually find out that Rita Skeeter wasn't just publicly hanging out looking for a statement. Mm-hmm. And we're going to learn more about that later on and talk more about that then. But Mr. Weasley was just reassuring some scared people not making some official statement. Robert says to correct him if he's wrong, but isn't Arthur the head of the Muggle Artifacts office? He doesn't need approval to speak to reporters. I know he works for the department, but I don't think he's the head. Yeah. But I still don't know if that means that he would necessarily need permission. Well, exactly. But regardless of that protocol, he wasn't speaking to reporters, so he definitely didn't need approval for that. Yeah, exactly. Robert also adds on that the thing about Rita is she will write whatever she deems publicity worthy that will bring in as much profit as possible. She doesn't give a fuck. She will twist everything said to her, whether or not it's from anyone, like from Arthur to Jesus. I would love to see what she has to say about Jesus. Right? I'm kind of intrigued by that now. And An expose on... I'm literally thinking that this needs to be a bonus Potter pondering. What would Rita Skeeter write about Jesus? <laughs> Please be creative. <laughs> well, you know she'd totally be on Rome's side. <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> But Jackson agrees with Robert, and he calls Rita Skeeter a gutter journalist. Speaking as a journalist himself, she's the kind that gives reporters a bad name, the reason why so many people hate the media. So he agrees with Bill that yes, she would make anyone look bad, and it wouldn't matter what Arthur said or didn't say. I think that's neat to have a journalist's perspective on this. Mm-hmm. I like that. Thanks, Jackson. Nicole responded to Jackson by saying Skeeter would report whatever made a good story in her head. She was not a journalist. She was a romance novelist with a byline. I love that description. It is perfect. It really is. We had some great responses and some super in-depth discussions this week, especially Mm -hmm. on the patron-only page. I love going through and reading all of these. Yeah, you keepers are seriously the best. And just for some extra fun... In the next month or so, we're going to officially have a phone number that you can call to leave your Potter Pondering responses recorded for us. So we can just enter those audio clips instead. It's exciting. We're going to have a Harry Potter tip line. That's going to be so fun. It'll be great. You all hear our voices all the time, so it'll be fun to hear yours too. Mm -hmm. And don't worry, for those of you like Mike and myself who don't like to hear our own voices... You can, of course, always still post on the page and have us read them as well. I, for one, am really looking forward to hearing people share their own rants. Oh, yeah. It'll totally be fun. We will definitely keep you guys posted on that. Our trivia question last week was, what was the supposed intruder at Mad-Eye Moody's house ambushed by? 
According to Mr. Diggory's head in the fireplace, there was an intruder in Mad-Eye's yard that was ambushed by dustbins that rocketed around, making a lot of noise and firing rubbish everywhere. One was even still animated when the please men showed up. <laughs> I love that he says please men. Please We're men. We're going to talk more about that later <laughs> in the episode. Yeah. <laughs> but congratulations goes to Mike Riley. Little by little, he's building his streak back up. This is week two, and he didn't have to share it with Max this time. Nicely done, Mike. Good luck to you and everyone else on the question this week. But for now, let's just keep rolling into Chapter 11, aboard the Hogwarts Express, and the corresponding film scenes that, you know, kind of correspond. Chapter 11, aboard the Hogwarts Express. Harry wakes up on the last day of the holidays and gets dressed to head down to breakfast. He, Ron, and the twins reach the landing as Mrs. Weasley calls up the stairs to Arthur about an urgent message from the ministry. Mr. Weasley squeezes past them, wearing his robes backwards, and when Harry and the others enter the kitchen, he sees Mrs. Weasley rummaging for a quill as Mr. Weasley talks to Amos Diggory's head sitting in the fireplace. As Amos tells Arthur about an issue with the muggle policeman, Mrs. Weasley gets him the quill and ink. Arthur readies them and asks what Mad-Eye said happened, learning that he said he heard an intruder in his yard who was ambushed by dustbins that made a lot of noise and fired rubbish everywhere. Mr. Weasley asks about the intruder, and Mr. Diggory rolls his eyes, saying there is likely a shell-shocked cat wandering around covered in potato peelings, but they are concerned about Mad-Eye Moody's record in the eyes of the improper use of magic department and want him to get off on a lighter charge. Diggory figures he jumped out of bed and began jinxing everything in sight, but it won't be easy to prove since there aren't any casualties. Mr. Weasley finishes taking notes and dashes out of the kitchen. Mr. Diggory's head turns to look at Mrs. Weasley, and he apologizes for bothering them so early, explaining that Arthur is the only one who can get Mad-Eye off and he's supposed to start his new job today. Mr. Weasley tells him never mind and offers him some toast, which she transfers to his mouth with fire tongs. He thanks her and disappears with a small pop. Harry can hear Mr. Weasley calling goodbye to Bill, Charlie, and Percy, and then he returns to the kitchen properly dressed. He tells the boys to have a good term and asks Molly if she will be all right taking the kids to King's Cross. She insists that she will and tells him to go look after Mad-Eye. Mr. Weasley vanishes and Bill and Charlie enter the kitchen. Bill wonders what Mad-Eye is up to now, and Mrs. Weasley explains that someone tried to break into his house last night. George asks if Mad-Eye Moody is that nutter, and his mother cuts him off to say that his father thinks very highly of Mad-Eye. Fred quietly points out that Dad collects plugs, and implies that he's a bit of a nutter as well. Bill states that Moody was a great wizard in his time, and Charlie adds on that he's an old friend of Dumbledore's. Fred points out that Dumbledore isn't exactly normal either, and Harry interrupts to ask who Mad-Eye is. Charlie informs him that he was one of the best Aurors, or Dark Wizard Catchers, and half of the cells in Azkaban are full because of him. It's led to him making a lot of enemies and getting really paranoid as he gets older. Bill and Charlie decide they will see everyone off at King's Cross Station, but Percy apologizes and says he needs to get to work, that Mr. Crouch is really starting to rely on him. George reckons he will even know his name soon. Mrs. Weasley uses the telephone in the village post office to order three muggle taxis, saying they weren't able to borrow ministry cars. 
The taxi drivers do not look thrilled to transport them, especially with an overexcited pigwidgeon and some of Fred's filibuster fireworks going off, causing Crookshanks to claw up the driver's leg. The journey is uncomfortable, and by the time they make it to the station, they are all severely scratched and relieved to get out of the cabs, even though it is still pouring rain. They cross the barrier to platform nine and three quarters in groups, and then set off to find seats and stow their luggage. They then go back to the platform to say goodbye, and Charlie says that he might be seeing them all sooner than they think. Fred wonders why, and Charlie tells him, you'll see, and not to let Percy know he mentioned it, since it's supposed to be classified. This just makes them more curious, but Bill and Charlie won't budge, and then the train whistle blows. They thank Mrs. Weasley and say goodbye, and even she joins in the fun of teasing them about what will be going on at Hogwarts that year. They refuse to tell the kids anything, and the train begins to move. Harry, Ron, and Hermione head back to their compartment, and Ron gets his dress robes out of his trunk to cover Pigwidgeon's cage and muffle his hooting. He mentions that Bagman had wanted to tell them about what's happening at Hogwarts, and is upset that his own mother won't tell them, wondering what it is. Hermione shushes him, and they can hear Draco Malfoy's voice from the compartment next to theirs. He is talking about how his father considered sending him to Durmstrang, where he knows the headmaster and they actually learned the dark arts, but his mother didn't like the idea of him going to school so far away. Hermione closes their compartment door, blocking out his voice, and says that she wishes he had gone to Durmstrang so they wouldn't have to put up with him. She confirms that it's another wizarding school after Harry asks, and says it has a horrible reputation. Ron wonders what country it's in, and Hermione explains that no one knows, because the magic schools conceal their whereabouts. Ron points out that it's got to be the same size as Hogwarts, and Hermione tells him that Hogwarts is hidden too. She read in Hogwarts A History that it's bewitched to look like ruins and is unplottable. She theorizes that Durmstrang must be in the far north, though, because they have fur capes as part of their uniforms. Ron fantasizes about pushing Malfoy off a glacier, and the train continues to move farther north. Harry buys some cauldron cakes to share, and several friends look in on them, including Seamus Finnegan, Dean Thomas, and Neville Longbottom. They all talk about the match, and Neville listens jealously, since he didn't get to go. Ron is showing off his crumb miniature and talking about being up in the top box when Malfoy shows up. He sees Ron's dress robes and starts making fun of them before switching the subject to ask if he's going to enter and try to bring some glory to the family name. Ron doesn't know what he's talking about, and Malfoy realizes this and assumes that Ron's father must be too junior at the ministry to know. He, Crabbe, and Goyle all laugh and then leave. Ron slams the door after them, breaking the glass, and Hermione has to repair it. When they finally arrive at Hogsmeade Station, Ron is still in a bad mood. It's still pouring rain, and they are greeted by Hagrid, who says he will see them at the feast if they don't drown, since the first years have to cross the lake to get to Hogwarts. The rest of the students make their way to the horseless carriages, and Harry, Ron, Hermione, and Neville climb into one to make their way to the castle. In the movie, the scene opens on a wide shot of the Hogwarts Express as it makes its way towards the school. It cuts to inside the train as the trolley witch calls out, Anything from the trolley? The camera shows a copy of the Daily Prophet and zooms out to show Hermione reading it. Ron is sitting next to her in the train compartment reading a book. As the trolley witch approaches, he sets the book aside and reaches into his pocket. 
Harry stands up from the seats across from him and Hermione, and he and Ron approach the trolley witch as she offers anything from the trolley. Ron stands and requests a package of droobles and a licorice wand. The witch puts some candy in Ron's hand, and he glances at his money and decides that he only wants the droobles. Harry offers to pay for Ron's licorice wand, but Ron ignores his offer and repeats, just the droobles. He sits back down, and as Harry reaches for the trolley, he is distracted when Cho Chang shows up and asks for two pumpkin pasties. Harry just awkwardly stares at her as she waits for her sweets. She smiles at him as she and her friends walk away giggling. The trolley witch asks if Harry wants anything sweet, and after a moment of confusion, he says he isn't hungry, glances back down after Cho, and sits back down in his seat with a dreamy expression on his face. Hermione snaps him out of his reverie when she mentions how awful it is that no one at the ministry seemed to know who conjured the mark. She asks if there was any security, and Ron confirms that his dad said there was loads, which is what worries them so much. Harry reaches up and rubs his scar, prompting Hermione to wonder if it's hurting again. He insists that he is fine, but Hermione tells him that he should let Sirius know what he saw at the World Cup and the dream. Harry looks out the window and the camera cuts to him writing Sirius Black on an envelope. He gives the letter to Hedwig, who flies out of the train window and over the lake. The scene cuts back to a wide shot of the train driving over a bridge, with the Hogwarts castle in the background. So like we said... There are corresponding film scenes here, mm -hmm. but aside from the fact that both sections include a ride on the Hogwarts Express, not that much else is parallel. Yeah. The movie actually basically uses this section to include some of the details that it skipped over earlier, so we'll be talking about those when we get to them, I guess. Yeah. The book chapter starts out at the Weasley House, the morning they are to return to Hogwarts. And the movie actually just transitions straight from the dark mark to the Hogwarts train. So to say that we miss out on a bunch of fun little details from the book is really just undercutting it, I think. <laughs> just a little. Just a little. Or a lot. <laughs> Here are some of the details that we missed out on. <laughs> that morning, rain is falling and the atmosphere is gloomy as Harry dresses. Mrs. Weasley appears at the bottom of the stairs as he, Ron, Fred, and George make their way down for breakfast, and she calls for Mr. Weasley, saying there's an urgent message from the ministry. Ooh, wonder who it could be. Right? Mr. Weasley rushes past the boys with his robes on backwards. Sure. And I love that detail. Yeah. <laughs> and when Harry and the others enter the kitchen, he sees Mrs. Weasley is looking for a quill and notices Mr. Diggory's head in the fire. Well, that welcome was quite warm, I would say, wasn't it? Ah, <laughs> see what he, I did there? Because it's fire. <laughs> yes, he received a very warm welcome. <laughs> and this is neat, too, because we know that we'll see this later on. And we'll talk more about it at that point. But this introduces the concept to Harry and to us as readers. Yes. Before it happens later. So it's kind of a bummer that they didn't include this. But yeah, I get it. It. The story continued without it. Yeah. Um, we don't get to see how commonly it's used, which kind of bothers me, you know? Yeah, I agree. Especially since it specifically points out that Mr. Diggory doesn't seem bothered by the flames. Yeah. Like his head is in the fire, but it's not hurting him. Yeah. And he's speaking very quickly about muggles hearing bangs and shouting and calling the policemen <laughs> instead of policemen. And I love it. Like, it's literally spelled P-L-E-A-S-E dash men. Please, please men. men. I mean, he's close. But it's so funny because when you think about 
hearing a word that you've never seen written down. Yeah. There's a lot of words that I couldn't even imagine how they would really be spelled. Mm -hmm. I'm such a visual person. Or like I'll hear a word said many times and then when I finally see it written down, I'm just like, oh, that's what that word is. Yeah. (laughs) So I like, I get it. I get why. He did pretty well phonetically, I think. Yeah, I would like to think so. Plus, when you kind of think about when the please men are called, it's when someone's in trouble and shouting, please help me. Right. So, you know, I mean, I can kind of see that confusion. I like it. Yeah. But Mr. Diggory tells Mr. Weasley that he needs to get there quickly. He had to go into the office early to send owls and he noticed the improper use of magic folks were leaving. And this is something that Rita Skeeter can't hear about. So yet again, we have another mention of Rita Skeeter. Yeah. Like they really, in the book, built up just how much a pain in the ass this woman is. Mm Mm-hmm. She gets very little mention in the movie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Even once she's on screen in the movie, she gets very little mention as to how much of a bitch she is. Right. Really. It just doesn't come close. Not even a little bit. Yeah. But Mr. Weasley takes the ink, quill, and parchment Mrs. Weasley gives him to take notes and asks what Mad-Eye said happened. Mr. Diggory tells him that Mad-Eye said he heard an intruder in his yard, but was attacked by his dustbins. Which was also our trivia question. Yep, he was attacked by dustbins. One of which was still going off when the please men arrived. (laughs) Sorry, I still love please men. I know. (laughs) This, of course, causes Mr. Weasley to groan and ask about the intruder. But Mr. Diggory rolls his eyes and says it was probably a cat. But with Mad-Eye's record, if they can't get him off on a minor charge and the improper use of magic lot gets him, he's done. That's not good. Right. And this whole time we're sitting here just wondering, like, why? This is a great setup. Why is this inclusion of Mad-Eye here? Right. We've never heard Mad-Eye before. We don't know anything about him. And the fact that it's included means something. So it's kind Mm -hmm. of a bummer that we didn't get that extra buildup. Yeah, exactly. Mr. Weasley tells Mr. Diggory that exploding dustbins are probably just a caution and asks if Mad-Eye used his wand or attacked anyone. Mr. Diggory says he probably jinxed everything he could reach outside his window, but since there's no casualties, it would be very difficult to prove. I mean, and pretty funny to try and prove as well. Right. But I mean, theoretically, they just showed us this. They could have taken his wand, Mad-Eye's wand, and done prior incantato on it. Mm -hmm. And it would have showed the last curses that he cast. But then if Mad-Eye is smart... He would have just done a bunch of other random magic around the house to, like, super backlog his magic. Yeah, true. I don't know how far back that'll go. Or I don't know if there's a clear cash option on your wand. (laughs) (laughs) There's another Potter pondering for us. There we go. (laughs) How do you think that works? I think that's what we should go with. Yeah. Especially when it sounds so simple. Mm Mm-hmm. Mr. Weasley stuffs his notes into his pocket and heads off. And Mr. Diggory turns to Mrs. Weasley to apologize for the early morning disturbance. But Arthur is the only one who can get Mad-Eye out of trouble, and he's supposed to start his new job today. I wonder what his new job is. Right, this all seems so random. Too random to just be random. Mrs. Weasley says never mind and offers him a piece of toast. She uses the fire tongs to place a piece of buttered toast in his mouth, and with a thanks and a pop, he disappears. I love that image. I really wanted to see Mr. Diggory's head in the fireplace with a piece of toast in his mouth going, French. <laughs> right? 
that little tidbit is kills me every time because it's like, wait, so not only can his head appear in the fireplace, but it like you can give something to it. Like, right. His head is literally there. It's not some apparition. Yeah. His head is literally there. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> something about that that just makes it seem so much more magical. Mm hmm. <laughs> Mr. Weasley calls out goodbyes to Bill, Percy, Charlie, and the girls and is combing his hair when he reappears in the kitchen with his robes on properly because at least he fixed that before leaving. Yeah. I wonder if uh, one of the girls told him. <laughs> Probably. I feel like I could see Ginny doing that while rolling her eyes. Right. Dad. Dad. You're on backwards again. But Mr. Weasley wishes the boys a good term and then asks Mrs. Weasley if she's okay taking everyone to King's Cross by herself. And she assures him that she's fine and to worry about Mad-Eye, not them. Well, yeah, because Mrs. Weasley's a badass. Hell yeah, she is. Hello? Mr. Weasley disapparates in the kitchen and Bill and Charlie enter. Bill asks what Mad-Eye has been up to. And Mrs. Weasley tells him that he says that someone tried to break into his house last night. George asks if they're talking about Mad-Eye Moody. And isn't he that nutter? But is cut off by Mrs. Weasley telling him that his father thinks very highly of Mad-Eye. Fred makes a comment about Mr. Weasley collecting plugs and birds of a feather as Mrs. Weasley leaves the kitchen. I love this line so much. Birds of a feather. Birds of a feather. I love it. Some people juggle geese. Right? <laughs> I'm so upset that this wasn't in the movie. Strictly for this line, if I'm being completely right? honest. This, this whole little scene t with giving us the heads up on who Mad-Eye is. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we do find out who he is. We get a tiny fraction of this conversation later yeah but it's but not, it is not the same in any way shape or form no and not nearly as fun if we're no. being honest because bill goes on to say he was a great wizard in his time and charlie mentions that he's an old friend of dumbledore's which causes fred to say that dumbledore isn't exactly normal either <laughs> and then harry asks who mad eye is yes do tell who is mad eye right. we're all because at know. this point that's what we're wondering yeah <laughs> Charlie says that he used to work in the Ministry of Magic as an Auror and explains that's a dark wizard catcher in response to Harry's blank expression. Sorry, can I just say I hate the word Auror? I hate it. Auror. Auror. I'm never sure that I'm saying it properly. I just say it with confidence. Yeah, well done, but I hate Auror. it. So. Not, not the way you say it or anything. I just I oh, no, no, I, I was tracking. <laughs> but Charlie continues explaining that a lot of prisoners in Azkaban were put there by Mad-Eye and he's made a lot of enemies which has made him quite paranoid in his old age. I mean, that kind of makes sense. <laughs> yeah, and I wonder if his paranoia somehow plays a part in this. Hmm. The fact that they specifically made it a point to tell us this. Because how does the greatest dark wizard catcher get into the situation that he is in? Yes. Which we'll talk more about later. Exactly. But, I mean, come on. Plot hole right there. Yeah. <laughs> Give us this background information. It makes a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. Bill and Charlie go to King's Cross with everyone to see them off, but Percy over-apologetically says that he has to go to work since Mr. Crouch is starting to rely on him. Yeah. And I love that in this moment, George, he is even being very serious about it. Like, he's not being cruel. He just seriously says, I reckon he's going to even know your name soon. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and I love that because it's just this combination of, like, teasing him but being like, no, like, you work really hard. Eventually, he's going to figure yeah. it out. <laughs> But it still also reminds him that he doesn't know his name because he's George. Fred. George. <laughs> George Fred. <laughs> Percy really doesn't care that he doesn't get to go to King's Cross. You know what I mean? He doesn't give a mm -hmm. shit. He doesn't want to go. 
not only does he get to not go, but he gets to be like, oh, you know, Mr. Crouch relies on me so much. I, I have to go to work. Oh, no. I work now. Oh. I go to work. I work at the ministry. Did I tell you? I work for Mr. Crouch. Did I tell you? Mr. Crouch relies on me. Do you think that me. he made himself a Mr. Crouch's bitch badge? <laughs> I mean, I think that that's probably what people call him behind his back. They also totally call him Weatherby. Well, that too. Yes. It's just a thing. <laughs> Instead of kick me on the signs they stick on his back, it just says Crouch's bitch. No, I think he made himself a badge. <laughs> I just don't know that it would say Crouch's bitch. Oh, oh. It's like the badges that they made for, for Harry. Harry and Cedric. With like the one that's like to support Cedric Diggory. And the you know, Potter stinks. Potter stinks. Yeah. So it, like it says, you know, like... I heart yeah. Mr. Crouch, and then it like switches to be like Crouch's bitch. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, ooh. I'm going to say that that would be a gift from Fred and George, and he, yes. Percy doesn't know that it changes occasionally. Yes. <laughs> I like it. But anyways, Mr. Weasley tried to borrow ministry cars, but there were none to spare, so Mrs. Weasley has to order muggle taxis from a phone in the village post office. Because she's badass, yet again. I mean, yeah. I mean, come on. That's pretty brave. Mm -hmm. When the taxis arrive, she remarks that the drivers don't look too happy as they load the trunks in their cars. Harry doesn't tell her that the owls, filibusters, fabulous wet start, no heat fireworks, and crookshanks crawling up one of their legs are probably why they're less than enthusiastic. Yeah, I don't think that all that helped. <laughs> no. That's meant those, those trunks probably weigh a fucking metric ton. A trunk ton. <laughs> But they do make it to King's Cross Station, and they're very relieved to be out of those taxis because they ended up getting clawed up themselves because Crookshanks never quite recovered from the firework going off. Awesome. And they're actually really glad to get out of the taxis, even though they have to get out of the taxi into this pouring rain. Mm. But they unload their trunks, and Ron, Harry, and Hermione are the first group to pass through the barrier between platforms 9 and 10 and onto platform 9 and 3 quarters where the Hogwarts Express is waiting. So I see we've learned from previous Platform 9 and 3 quarters trips, you let Harry and Ron go first. Yes, send them <laughs> through first. Yes. And I know it, it wouldn't be that different, but they only really give us the train scene twice. Yeah, I wish we got the train scene more often. That's like one of the best parts of like getting to watch them go through the barrier and the worlds change like it's the same thing with them going through Diagon Alley when they don't show the magic of it they're robbing us yeah I for sure agree so it's a little bit of a bummer that the movie just skipped right over this mm -hmm. but we get to see students and parents walking through the steam that's coming from the great scarlet train and the three set off to find seats and stow their luggage before they go back to the platform to say goodbye to Mrs. Weasley, Bill and Charlie, who says they might be seeing him sooner than they think. Hmm, I wonder why. So does Fred. And Charlie says they'll see. But he can't tell Percy he said anything because it's classified information until the ministry says otherwise. So I believe what Fred and George hear is tell everyone you see. Which I'm sure they do. Oh, yeah. You know they do. <laughs> something's going on at Hogwarts. I don't know what, but it's something. It's a thing. <laughs> There's a thing. Bill says he almost wishes he were back at Hogwarts this year. And when George asks why, he says they're in for an interesting year and that he might take time off work to come watch some of it. Wait, Bill's in this movie? Hang on. What? Right? Oh, wait. 
No, no he's not. He's not. No Charlie, no Bill. No Charlie. Wait, Charlie. No Percy even. Charlie. Charlie. Ed Sheeran. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Gotcha. <laughs> the whistle blows just as Ron is asking a bit of what? And they're shuffled towards the train by Mrs. Weasley. Harry and Hermione lean out of the window to thank her for having them, and Mrs. Weasley says she would invite them for Christmas, but they will probably want to stay at Hogwarts with one thing and another. So now she's joining in. Like, dude. Something is going on. We know something you don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> neener, neener, neener. <laughs> I bet they were, like, wishing they actually would have pushed Percy to tell them all summer. Because <laughs> Percy was the one who was talking about, oh, very special. He was also never going to tell them? No, of course he wasn't. But they were probably like, man, we could have had so much more fun, like... Trying to trick it out of him? Yeah. Regrets. Regrets. <laughs> Ron asks what the three of them know that he, Harry, and Hermione don't. And Mrs. Weasley tells him they will probably find out tonight, and she's just glad they've changed the rules. She's not doing anything to help she's really not. the curiosity here. <laughs> just poke the bear a little more. Come on. Uh-huh. She tells them all to behave and smiles and waves as the train begins to pull away, while Fred is shouting out the window wanting to know what she is talking about. I just love that image, too. Yeah. Like, could you just see their heads hanging out? Like, what do you mean? What's going on in Hogwarts? What are we doing, what? you guys? Come on, tell us, please. I love it. I could just see the train pulling away as they're going, tell us, tell us, tell us, tell us, tell us, tell us, tell us. Right. <laughs> when Harry, Ron, and Hermione make their way to the compartment, Ron complains that Ludo Bagman wanted to tell them what is going on when they were at the World Cup, but his own mother won't tell him. But Ludo Bagman is definitely... A lot less trustworthy than Molly, so... Oh, that's what they, they should have done when they ran into him in the forest. Like, hey, there's a there's kind of a riot going on, but really quick. What's yeah. happening at Hogwarts? <laughs> so, hey, about that thing you were talking about earlier, remember? Remember you or brought it up maybe earlier? Just, Let's talk about that now. Yeah, maybe just mention that first and then mention the riot. They totally could have gotten it out of Bagman. Oh, yeah. Bagman would have spilled beans. Easy. So hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But Hermione shushes Ron, and the three stop to listen to the drawling voice of Nazi von Douchebag in the hall, talking sure. about how his father almost sent him to Durmstrang, and he knows the headmaster. He calls Dumbledore a mudblood lover and says Durmstrang doesn't admit that kind of riffraff, and that they actually learned the dark arts there, and not just the defense classes taught at Hogwarts. So we see Draco's growing up and becoming quite an upstanding young man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The summer's done him something good, and he's really grown to respect his fellow wizards. And, oh, wait. Oh, fuck. No, he hasn't. He's still a Nazi von Douchebag the second. Never mind. <laughs> Silly me. And if you were watching the movie, none of this <laughs> happened at all. <laughs> right? <laughs> but Hermione gets up and slides the door shut and says she wishes Malfoy had gone to Durmstrang instead of Hogwarts so they wouldn't have to deal with him. Which, I mean... Yeah, but then how much worse would Malfoy have been? Yeah, but he literally wished her dead. I mean, he would have wished her dead if he went to Durmstrang, too. But he wouldn't have known her. It wouldn't have been personal. Mm, I guess. I'm not saying I think he should have gone to Durmstrang. I just can't blame Hermione for wishing that. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I'm just saying we would have missed out on some redemption later on. True. 
But that's for another book a couple years from now. <laughs> yeah, we'll get there eventually. Yes. Harry asks if Durmstrang is another wizarding school, and Hermione tells him that it is, and it has a terrible reputation for putting a lot of focus on the dark arts. When Ron asks what country it's in, Hermione says that there isn't a lot of trust between the magic schools, so they all conceal their locations. That's kind of messed up. <laughs> yeah, you'd think they would go for more, like, wizard unity? Yeah. Inter-school magical cooperation? Pen pal programs? I don't know. But this shocks Ron that it's hidden because it's got to at least be the size of Hogwarts. And he wonders how a giant castle could be hidden. And then, of course, Hermione just completely blows his mind, as well as anyone who hasn't read Hogwarts a history, that <laughs> Hogwarts is hidden, too. <gasps> no. Oh, wait, I knew that. Never mind. <laughs> because I'm not Ron. And I mean... After everything Mr. Weasley said about the Quidditch World Cup Stadium, you would think that Ron wouldn't be that dense, too. I mean, literally, they were able to put charms on a giant stadium and campsite. Multiple campsites, according to the book. Yeah. Why, is it that hard to believe they could do it around a castle, too? Right? The fact that you're able to turn the inside of a tent into, like, a three-story grand palace and shit, and yet you think you can't hide a castle? Magic! <laughs> Bam! Magic! She explains that the castle is bewitched to look like old ruins with a danger sign if a muggle sees it and says that Durmstrang might have muggle repelling charms and to keep it hidden from wizards, they would have enchanted it to make it unplottable on a map. See, you know, I know a number of people who, if they came across some ruins with a danger sign around them, that's only more <laughs> invitation to come on in. This looks like a great place to take pictures. Right? Yeah, I wonder if you get, like, past a certain point, if you see what's actually there then, or if it remains looking like ruins. I wonder right? how that works. God, we have a lot of Potter ponderings. We do. Because we're going to make that one as well. <laughs> Hermione does theorize that Durmstrang is probably somewhere far north, since their uniforms include fur capes, and Ron muses how easy it would be to push Nazi von Douchebag off a glacier and make it look like an accident. I mean... We did already see the fur hat that he wore in Prisoner of Azkaban. Yeah. Maybe he got that on a school tour. Maybe. <laughs> the rain continues and Harry buys a large stack of cauldron cakes for them to share when the lunchtime trolley comes by. Meanwhile, in the movie, on the Hogwarts Express, Hermione is reading the newspaper because of course she is. And Ron is reading a book. I didn't know he could read. <laughs> see what you did there. <laughs> He hears the siren song of the trolley witch rolling her cart of diabetes down the hall. Honestly, is hopping a train full of kids up on sugar, like magic sugar, no Magic less? kids, even. Ma magic kids on magic sugar, for fuck's sake, before dinner? Is that really that sound of an idea? Largely unsupervised kids as well. Mm-hmm. We've had this discussion before. It's a terrible idea. I just, I can't get over how they constantly are just like, we're doing a trolley witch again this year, right? Oh yeah, of course. Why wouldn't we? There's absolutely nothing terrible about that idea at all. Mm -mm. Nope, not even a little bit. Nope. Anyway, <laughs> moving on from that large, shining sign of bad ideaness. He digs into his pocket for the sixpence he earned working in the mills over the summer to help feed his mother and four bedridden grandparents. Oh, shit. Wait, wrong story. My bad. Though there is a lot of sugar. There is. There I can is see why you got confused. 
Poor Ron can't afford all of his candy, but instead of being a charity case to his best friend, he not so politely side-eyes him and goes back to his book, which I'm sure doesn't have any pictures in it at all. Probably not. No. But in the book, there's no big scene with the food trolley. It's simply mentioned that she stops by and Harry buys those cauldron cakes for him, Ron, and Hermione. So the books do occasionally let Harry treat Ron like a charity case. Nope. Movie makes a bigger thing out of it by having Harry be completely distracted from buying sweets by the arrival of Cho Chang. Cho Chang! (laughs) (laughs) But this is one of the scenes that kind of references Harry's tendency to do embarrassing things around Cho, like how he sloshed water all down his front when he tried waving back to her at the campsite. Yeah, Harry uses the trolley cart to hide his awkward boner as the only Asian student in the whole of Hogwarts abruptly awakens his sexuality. That just makes me imagine Harry awkwardly sidestepping with the trolley all the way down the hall (laughs) to keep his boner hidden. (laughs) I mean, the trolley witch offers Harry something sweet, but the only sweet thing he wants is dead ass. Cho-ching! (laughs) Cho-ching! Though none of that happened in the book. Instead of giggling girls and awkward boners, we see several people drop in to visit the trio. Seamus Finnegan, Dean Thomas, and Neville Longbottom are among the friends who stop by their compartment as the day passes. Seamus still has his Ireland rosette on, and when the Quidditch talk begins to bore Hermione, she starts to try to learn a summoning charm from her standard book of spells grade four. So she's not reading the newspaper. No. She's reading a book. They gave her book to Ron for some reason. Which doesn't make any sense i feel like they should have given him a magazine or something like something i, I mean give him the daily profit there's probably some comics in there or something <laughs> well i'm like i'm now i'm just imagining like a magic version of marmaduke garfield <laughs> crookshanks crookshanks or or uh beetle bailey or <laughs> like yeah hell yeah hagrid the great. horrible but back to the quidditch talk in the book neville complains that his grand wouldn't buy tickets and wishes he could have gone since it sounded amazing ron pulls out his miniature figure of crumb to show neville and tells him that they even met him because they were in the top box when nazi von douchebag the second backed up by tweedledum and tweedledumer interrupts saying it would be his first and last time fucking nazi von douchebag the second He's so cringy. Yeah. Clearly, he grew as a person. Clearly. (laughs) Harry tells him that he wasn't invited to join them, and then Draco notices Ron's dress robes and snatches them off Pigwidgeon's cage, holding them up for his minions to see. He turns back to the compartment and asks if Ron is going to enter to try and win some glory and even money, and assumes that Harry will enter because he never misses a chance to show off. I mean... That's not wrong. I don't know that Harry does half of that shit deliberately. Well, I mean, okay, it's not a chance to show off. Maybe Draco should have said medal, because then it would have been true. He never misses the chance to medal. That's for damn And sure. oftentimes the meddling is quite impressive mm-hmm. and can be equated to showing off. Exactly. But I don't think that's his intention, so. Even so. But it does often work out that way. True. Hermione snaps at Draco and tells him he should tell them what he's talking about or just go away. And this causes a gratified smile to spread on Malfoy's face. His very punchable face. Or slappable, if you're talking about the book. True. 
He laughs and says that Ron has a father and a brother at the ministry. He should know. His father told him about it ages ago. But Ron's father was probably too junior for people like Fudge to talk about anything too important in front of. And then Nazi Von Douchebag laughs again and he and Tweedledum and Tweedledumer disappear. I mean, at least that story ended nicely. They disappeared. (laughs) Yeah, they left. (laughs) It's not technically over, though, because it continues on with Ron slamming the compartment door so hard he breaks the glass. And then Hermione chastises him and has to fix it using Reparo. Like I said, it's a bad idea to hop kids up full of sugar. Yeah. It's interesting that we are now in the fourth book, and this is the first time in the book Hermione ever uses Reparo in front of us, and they've had her do it twice in the movies. Wait, you mean she doesn't use it all the time in the books? I mean, she might. This is the first time we've seen it. What? Ron says that Nazi von Douchebag II makes it look like they don't know anything, and that his father could have gotten a promotion whenever he wanted, but he likes his position. Hermione tells him not to let Malfoy get to him, and Ron acts incredulous at the thought as he smashes a cauldron cake in his hands. His foul mood doesn't change the rest of the way, and he's still scowling when they reach their stop at the Hogsmeade station. Yeah, none of that was in the movie. (laughs) Like, not a bit of it. (laughs) Which gave us no early implication of something going on at Hogwarts. Like, no one visits the trio, it's just Hermione still freaking out over the events at the Quidditch World Cup. Though her eyebrows seem to be more worried about Harry's scar as he rubs it. She asks if it's hurting him, and he insists that he's fine. This is the closest that we get to him explaining everything that happened with the dream and his scar hurting the way he did back at the burrow after they got back from the Quidditch World Cup. Yeah, but the movie just kind of implies that he had already told them because they just have Hermione flat out tell Harry that he should let Sirius know about his scar hurting. Which is not how it happened in the book, since Harry came up with that idea all on his own Mm -hmm. before he even mentioned what happened to his friends. I think it would have made more sense if she told him that Dumbledore needs to know about his scar hurting again. Nope. I mean, I don't know what you're talking about, but in the movie, (laughs) she tells him to write to Sirius, and the scene cuts to Harry writing his dog father's name on an envelope. And I'm sure that it included the phrase, Dear Sirius Black, don't worry, no one will ever find you by intercepting this letter I have written your whole name on. As you know, I'm 14 now and full of logic and wisdom beyond my years. It's like you're in his head. He is that tree, and you are the little cookie elf. (laughs) And this at least works it into the story that Harry wrote a letter to Sirius, since it's something that had already happened in the book. But despite taking place on the Hogwarts Express, these scenes don't have that much in common. Yeah, it does work in some information that was previously left out, so that helps, I guess. But it's ultimately not that corresponding. Harry sends Hedwig with a letter from the train, and the movie uses Hedwig's flight over the lake to transition to a shot of the train with Hogwarts off in the distance. And this is where the scene ends. Like, that's it. That's all we get. The book chapter goes on just a bit more, showing their arrival at the Hogsmeade station. Rain is coming down like buckets of ice water when they exit the train. Hermione has Crookshanks bundled in her robes, and Ron has his dress robes still thrown over Pigwidgeon's cage to try and keep the poor animals dry. Mm-hmm. Harry shouts a hello to Hagrid, who says he'll see them at the feast if they don't drown, and Hermione remarks that she would not like to cross the lake in this weather. I totally agree with that. I don't like the idea of 
riding in a boat in the rain anyway, because that's how you drown, no? Like, if there's enough rain, like, eventually there's more in the boat than on the outside of it, so that's not a good thing. And next week we're going to learn that there was a mishap, so. There was. Mm-hmm. Not in the movie, of course, because why? <laughs> At least not that they showed. Though they did actually include rain in the movie as well. It's also not really shown until a bit later. In the book, they slowly trudge along with the crowd towards the horseless carriages waiting for them, and Harry, Ron, Hermione, and Neville gratefully climb into one of them and out of the downpour. A few moments later, the carriage lurches into motion and the procession heads towards Hogwarts Castle. And this is where the book chapter ends. I mean, the, the movie ended quite a while ago, so yeah. it's nice to see you finally caught up to me. Right. <laughs> we do have some new actors to talk about, though. We see Marjorie Mason as the trolley witch, because anything from the trolley is a very important line to deliver. It is all she really gets to do, but she does it with conviction. Mm-hmm. I don't know a lot about Marjorie Mason in general, and like we said, she doesn't do much, but loved that line. It is so much fun to imitate, as you have done for us several times this episode. Anything from the trolley? Once more with feeling. <laughs> Anything, Anything from, from the, the trolley? trolley? We also see Katie Lung as Cho Chang. I love her accent. Like, I'm obsessed with how she sounds. I know. We were talking about it earlier. I just love the way she's like, im, im, like, mm -hmm. her little mannerisms are just adorable. And I thought she did a fantastic job being that kind of awkward, like, interested in a guy, but not knowing how to talk to him. Just like, mm -hmm. like her interaction, like right now, all we've seen is her just speaking with her face to Harry. I mean, she ordered the pumpkin pasties, but everything yeah. was done very subtly on her face. There were no like crazy eyebrows and <laughs> like, but you could read her facial expressions. Yeah. I thought it was really subtle and really good the way that she was like a little bit embarrassed, but kind of also pleased by Harry's attention. And mm -hmm. you could kind of see like a little blush creep up. Right. And how it was and... like a little bit awkward, but and then she had all of her friends with her, so they were kind of giggling too, and yeah. And that was a nice reference, because we didn't get to see as much of that later on. Yeah. So we'll talk more about that. But yeah, I think she was great as Cho Chang, even though Cho Chang herself has other issues. Than oh, so many issues. But playing Cho Chang, though, she did really well, I have and to say. And when she got that role, she was like, Cho Chang! <laughs> I don't think that she was, Helen. Maybe she was. You don't know. I... I feel that your headcanon here is important, um, and I want you to hold on to it as long as you can. Oh, so I'm just going to move on. And this will bring us to our Potter ponderings. We ended up with a few this time. The first one is, could the Ministry have used Priori Incantatum to investigate Moody's wand to see if he performed magic improperly, or do you think Moody knows a way to clear the evidence? Also... If a muggle ignores the danger ruins sign outside Hogwarts and goes exploring, do you think they would end up thinking they're wandering around actual ruins? Or would they eventually get through the enchantments and find Hogwarts? For realsies. For realsies. And for funsies, what do you think Rita Skeeter would write about Jesus? Go ahead. Be creative and blasphemous. Right? We want to hear it. Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. We really look forward to reading them. This will bring us to our Sorting Hat story, which is from Liza Kate Crockett. 
She writes, I am a Slytherin. Woohoo! Go Slytherin. I have a Tiger Shark Patronus. Fucking most badass Patronus ever! That's amazing. I have to say, I have Patronus envy. I would love to see a Tiger Shark chase down a Dementor. Right? <laughs> That'd be so awesome. That'd be amazing. That's incredible. You win at Patronus, bingo, I have to say. Well yeah. done, Liza Kate. Moving on, though. <laughs> she also has an Elder Wood Wand without Dragon Heartstring Core. I got into Harry Potter when my dad bought the first book and read it to me when I was little. Aww. The first book I read on my own was the fifth. Before that, it was me and my dad's thing. We would read a chapter each night. I have a Harry Potter half-sleeve and dressed up as a Death Eater a few Halloweens back. I love the depth of the Harry Potter universe. I know, me too. Right? That's so awesome that it's something you got to share with your dad. Mm-hmm. I love reading about people who share it with their parents. Mm-hmm. Because I, like, secretly hope that one day my child will, like, think that way about Harry Potter. Like, oh, it was me and my mom's thing. Yeah. <laughs> or, like, my mom is, like, the coolest Harry Potter nerd ever. I know she will literally never say that. But in my head, it just makes for nice thoughts. She might. We have a podcast. True. <laughs> <laughs> or she might be like, oh, my God, my mom is so embarrassing. You guys, That's seriously. like probably far more likely. Yes. It is me, after all. But thank you for sharing your sorting hat story with us, Liza Kate. Yeah, thank you. And if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your sorting hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, especially if you have a badass tiger shark Patronus. Right? And how you got into Harry Potter and anything else that you might want to share with us. You can also just message us on social media. And this will bring us to... This week's trivia question, dun, dun, dun. which is, what three magical beings go into a bar in the joke Dumbledore starts to tell after the feast? The prize for the first one who responds with a correct answer and the code word, hashtag, maybe this is not the time, will get a sticker. <laughs> Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes. If you don't have an Apple account, you can write a recommendation on our Facebook page. Then email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we will get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. If you would like to support us as a patron for extra perks, you can go to patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. In addition to getting you some extra perks, like Just Keep Rolling swag, patron-only Facebook groups, virtual meetups, bonus content, and more, your patronage also helps us to continue producing this podcast, our cooking show, and bringing more content your way. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. We also want to take a minute to welcome our newest patron, Lisa Lotha Hertenbach. I really hope I got sort of close for you. <laughs> I mean, I think that was a good try. You know, golf claps. Golf claps. Probably not. <laughs> welcome to the Just Keep Rolling family, Lisa Lotha. We are just so happy to have you join us. So happy. Mm -hmm. We are looking forward to getting to know you more through the patron Facebook page. Definitely. And if any of you other keepers out there would like to join us on the patron-only Facebook page, you know where to find us. 
Also, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we put our weekly podcast episodes, cooking show episodes, monthly blooper reels, vlogs, and other random videos. And join us next week when we talk about Chapter 12, the Triwizard Tournament, and the corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just just keep keep rolling. rolling.